I'm going to just start and say, hello, this is Joy Foster. I'm the founder of TechPixies. We help women upskill with modern technology like social media, WordPress, MailChimp, all that good stuff. And um, I had the pleasure of getting to hear Eve Brodsky speak at an Albright event, but I had actually already read her book because we have now we have a mutual friend um, who who recommended to me very highly that I read her book. So when I was in California and driving from California to Arizona, I literally put the book on and I listened to it the whole way. And it was such an amazing book. So thank you for writing the book, Eve. And well, thank you for highlighting being a cultural warrior with me, um, <laughs> especially at a really hard part for women's lives, was it, which is a return to the workforce. You know, it's a hard time. Yeah. Tell me about what you're doing before you got into Fair Play. Yeah, so what I was saying is that it's a book I was born to write because I grew up in the States, um, the Lower East Side, and let me know if my audio goes out, but I grew up in Manhattan uh, and Avenue C and 14th Street, which was the area that not many people wanted to be in the 80s and 90s, but I grew up with a single mom. We um, lived together with my younger brother, and I like to say, Joy, at like seven years old, I started to notice a difference between regular utility bills and late utility bills where there was a final shutoff notice. And I started making piles for my mother. And when an eviction notice would come, I would make sure it was, it was pasted with tape on her door so that she would pay our, our rent. And I think I just vowed from an early age that that wouldn't be my life, no. that I would do it differently, that I would have an equal partner in life. And the thing is I did, I did have that equal partner. I invested in finding that relationship. I married that equal partner. His name is Seth. And things were really fair. We were so supportive of each other's careers. We took turns doing the dishes. We took turns ordering in dinner in New York City when we were growing our careers. And then I like to say, cut to two kids later. And I started this fair play journey, right? Because of one text he sent me. And that text just said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. <laughs> and, you know, you can picture the scene, but it really was that text. It was this day that's burned on my brain where I had, it was just after my second son, Ben was born. I had a breast pump and a diaper bag on the passenger seat of my car. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return in the back seat of my car. I had a client contract on my lap because I just started my own advisory firm where I had a pen that was sort of stabbing me in the vagina <laughs> as I was trying to mark it up, you know, as I was racing to get my older son, Zach, from his toddler yeah. transition program, oh. he was three at the time. And in America, you know, we value working parents in the UK too, right? So our, these programs were lasting like 15 minutes. So I'm racing to get him. And then I get this text from Seth and it was so jarring. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries that I just pulled over and I just started sobbing. I started sobbing because I thought to myself, I used to manage employee teams back to your themes. And now I can't even manage a grocery list. And more importantly, I just kept thinking, wow, um, how did I become the default? Or as I call them, fair play, right? The she fault. Yeah, the she literally fault. Every, every single household and domestic task for my family, including apparently being the fulfiller of my husband's smoothie needs, right? Um, how did that happen to me when I had vowed it wasn't? And in, on top of that, I'm a Harvard trained mediator. I'm well, that's, I was just going to go into that. Yeah, let, let's go into your background yes, before. Yes. This, you know, set the scene. We all know that scene, but also we have to remind people, and, and I have to remind people of this all the time. Like before, 
before kids came along, you, you very likely had a very successful career, Yes. you, you know, yes. and so, and we like to say that you don't throw out all of those amazing skills when you throw out the nappies, it, well, the diapers in America, but yes, yes. You know, just because you've thrown out the nappies doesn't mean you've thrown out all of those skills. And um, so, yeah, you were highly, highly trained and highly trained um, attorney um, and mediator for highly complex families. Um, I don't know if you guys have the HBO show Succession yet in the UK, but, you know, these very Rupert Murdoch looking type families, right? People who are dealing with very difficult succession issues. And I was building, you know, creating family harmony for these families um, based on values based communication and yeah. mediation training. So I'm literally Harvard trained to use my voice. Wow. I'm a Harvard trained lawyer to use my voice. And I didn't have the tools. I couldn't come up with any tools to communicate about the unfairness I was feeling, about what life felt like as I was opting out of the workforce, as taking less and less clients because of the invisible work at home. I had no vernacular or vocabulary. I grew up in a feminist household where we marched for the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, basically from when I was 15 months is my first picture with an ERA button on. And there was I didn't know any of this. I didn't realize that two thirds of what it takes to run a home and family still fall on women. Mm. regardless of whether we work outside the home. I didn't realize that this had a name. The she-fault had a name, mental load, emotional labor, um, second shift, and my favorite invisible work. I think That's invisible work is so important. And in fact, um, did you read The Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates? Yes, yes. That was such a powerful book. And she talks about the invisible work. And one of the you know, examples she gives in the book is how uh, this one woman tried to, she finally was fed up from doing the, the 10 mile walk to get the water every day. Uh, and that she, she packed all her stuff and was ready to leave. And her husband broke Maasai tradition and said, what will it take for you to stay? And she said, you're gonna have to do the water. Uh, and, and he uh, you know, was very, was made fun of and treated very poorly by his tribe. But actually by doing the water run, um, it led a couple other men to do the water run. And then the other thing that happened was that they decided that walking 10 miles wasn't efficient. So then they got bicycles and then they got a truck and then they decided to build wells. So also, I think it's, you know, just because it's the way it's always been done doesn't mean it's the way that it has to be done going forward. Correct. And, you know, and just by being in the position where he had to do it, then he he realized how tough it was and changed things for the family for the better. Well, not just for the family, for the whole um, village of Maasai uh, tribes in that area or that whole tribe. Um, and then she talks about, um, Melinda Gates talks about when uh, Bill started taking the kids yes. to school and is suddenly all the other moms said, well, if Bill can take his kids to school and he runs Microsoft, you can take your kids to school. Correct. Correct. So it's been an That's interesting. It. That is it. It's, that is joy. That is, you hit the nail on the head. It's a value of care. When I used, when I started writing Fair Play, I had a post-it note on my computer that I sort of want to frame and it said go where the white men are because exactly what you saw when power centers start valuing care because they're doing it everything changes that's what the science shows what the science shows is that it's not enough just to talk about paternity leave or paid leave or even pay equity because it requires individual agency taking agency in your own home Otherwise, society, societal attitudes don't change. It didn't require her uh, in a village, you know, arguing for why water should be gotten from everybody and there should be equal water policies. It took her husband actually walking the walk to the water. 
And so I think that's the beauty of fair play is that I'm asking us to throw out 50-50, this idea of 50-50 in the home, because I don't understand what that means. I think it leads to scorekeeping and unreasonable expectations and disappointment, and instead replacing it with ownership. Well, I love Take what you one said. Thing, water. Take the yeah. water. <laughs> but I love what you said about when in your house, apparently it's the trash. Trash. <laughs> rubbish, well, as we say it's over here. It started with rubbish. And I think what was interesting about, so fair play, right? What is it really about? It's about this finding, this finding that um, after interviewing 500 men and women, including men and women in the UK, was that in a typical well-functioning organization, we own our shit. Right. You don't walk into your employee's office and say, hey, what should I be doing today? I'll just wait here till you tell me what to do. But so many highly capable men who have just the same executive functioning and multitasking skills as women, there's no difference in our brains, end up having that that weird pattern of just waiting until their wives tell them what to do. And so how do you break that? You break that with ownership the same way you do in the workforce where you give someone context and not control. And so I like to say everything you need to know about fair play, you learn from mustard. Right. Because somebody has to know that your son likes French's or whatever your yellow mustard is in the UK with their protein. Otherwise, they choke. So you you put it on a grocery list. Right. You you conceive of that. That's called conception, that piece of the project management cycle. Then you have to notice it's running low and put it on a list of everything else you need for the week. That's the project management state of planning. And then you actually have to get your butt to the store to buy the yellow mustard. But the problem is that's the execution stage and that's where men were stepping in. And that's a major problem for my findings because they're bringing home the spicy Dijon, the gross kind with the seeds, you ask for the yellow mustard. And then men all over, all over, the UK, the United States, Australia, Japan are saying to me things like, well, why would I do more in the home when I can't get anything right? Yeah. And then women are saying things to me, I won't trust my husband with anything important because the guy can't even bring home the right type of mustard. So as a mediator, we often say the presenting problem is not the real problem. This is not about mustard or off-season blueberries. It's about trust and how we start treating our home like our most important organization. Well, I, there's a couple of things that you said in the book that really hit home for me. And one of them was about equal is not always fair and fair is not always equal. So you touched on it earlier, that concept of 50-50 is you can throw that out the window because 50-50 is pretty much impossible to achieve um, and nor should we aspire to do it. But what we should be doing is valuing everyone's individual tasks equally right. and being able to divvy them out in a way that makes sense for our family. And what you've got is this brilliant card game. Uh, and we've actually got some of the cards. Yay, it's so yay. exciting. Uh, but what you talk about, and that's exactly what you mean, you're, you're talking about owning the full task, right? So you're not, you're not just a section of the task, but owning the entire thing. And I think that's really important to understand. Um, and, and the grocery one's a great example, uh, uh, but also a slightly tricky one because you've got cooking and everything else. You've got to figure out who's going to actually do the recipes and then who's going to actually do the cooking and who's going to... but I, the concept that I like, for example, is, um, you know, like laundry or the school run or, you know, that someone owns it, they fully own it. And whether it's on that day, they own it or that week that they own it or that month that they own it, but that there's an ownership where someone's taking full responsibility from start to finish. Absolutely. And I'd say for me, the, um, one of the first cards that my husband took, because it, we both valued this card, extracurricular sports 
we really wanted our, our, our sons to play sports. We understand the value in that in terms of keeping someone, you know, keeping kids off drugs, off phones, um, engaged in something uh, on a team and how important it is to work in teams. So we understood the mutual value of extracurricular sports. But what was happening before fair play was that my husband legitimately thought he was handling extracurricular sports because he was showing up on the little league field on Saturdays. And then when finally we understood the conception planning and execution, where I said, actually, when I mean I want you to own extracurricular sports, I mean serving our kids' friends to see what sports they want to play, finding the appropriate league, signing your email up to the, the portal, printing out the five consent forms, ordering their equipment, being snack dad, um, getting you know money for the coach's gift, it or, organizing carpool practices. Seth looked at me like I was crazy. He was like, this is a ton of work. I said, yes, this is just one card out of a hundred. And, he, and he's like, that's about six hours a week. I said, exactly. And I've been doing it for all these years. Yeah. And now I, because we both value it, we're going to start with you taking one card out of a hundred and we'll see how it goes. Right. And so there was a lot of, a ton of learning and understanding, having to give him that context because Whatever the reasons, you know, probably patriarchy, I had had this, you know, as I talk in the book, I had this, it's on me that I had to mm. do everything. So to give the context over, yes, women have to initiate those conversations. I wish men could, but part of being a feminist is being, as Nora Ephron would say, taking, uh, being the heroine of your own life and not a victim. Yeah. So when I took agency and said, I'm not going to live like this anymore because our time is equally valuable. And I, I want that six hours a week back. Um, he started to listen because we talked about it in new ways. And he really understood CPE, this conception, planning, execution, owning your shit. And now the beauty is I get to show up. I play the showing up and participating card, but I don't ever bring a water bottle. I don't bring sunscreen. I talk, we talk about our minimum standard of care, which was protective gear and sunscreen. Uh, and yeah, let's, uh, let's pause on that for a second. So minimum standard of care, because here's one of the other tricks to this is that people don't always value the same thing. And this goes back Correct. to the, the rubbish issue. So yes. for your husband, um, having six pizza boxes sitting on top of the trash can was like not a big deal. But for you, that was a big deal. And I know when my when my husband and I um, read the book and then did the cards together, we realized that we don't value some things equally at all. Correct. And, yeah. and that is tricky because you have to, you have to find a, a, a level playing field where you get both go, okay, this is the minimum, what you said, minimum is a minimum standard of care. Yes, minimum so, standard of care. For example, with, with the, um, and, and what you said in the book, which was so great is if you can explain why you have that minimum standard of care, um, that would be great. So if you could expand a little bit on how you explained to your husband, why the trash can was so important. Yes. You, I think that yes. would be really helpful in explaining that concept. Great. So fair play is a combination of organizational management and values-based mediation. And this is what I mean by that. Uh, the organizational management, because I'm trained in organizations, was very easy for Seth to understand the idea of ownership because he does it at work all the time. Yeah. So again, he would never say, you know, what am I doing here today? Right. He shows up, he does his job, he gets the context and he performs. So that conception planning execution, very easy to understand. This is what it takes to take out the garbage. It has to go out before trash day. Um, I really, the full ownership means a bag goes back in. 
you know, I don't, you know, so that next time I don't have to be taking out the liner myself, right? You do the full ownership. He understood that and was willing to take on garbage. But when I started testing the system three years ago, just based on organizational management, Joy, I had ignored a, a decade of how I had been working and mediating fam very complex family situations, which is this idea of what is your why? And then what happened was I realized without it, without this other part, the system fails because it just becomes like another list. So even though Seth understood garbage, I still stalked him over it. And that's what I was saying to you, Joy. Like I would open the door underneath the sink and, you know, trip, hopefully he, he's tall. He would trip over the open door and find the liner. Um, I kept asking when he was going to take out the garbage. I was stalking him over garbage. And that's when I paused the game and said, something's wrong, something's missing. And then I thought about my mediation practice and what works. And I introduced a step about building your deck together, understanding your why for every card, taking a new vow over garbage, not the crap vows we take on our wedding day that don't mean anything because nobody can remember them. When I asked over and over again, I asked couples, how do you live your vows every day? They look at me like I'm crazy. Like what, what did I <laughs> they don't vows, remember them? Yes. Nobody remembers them ever unless they were married within the last six months, but you, it is taking a vow over garbage. So the first step is the, your why. So I sat Seth down when emotion is low and cognition was high. That's really important. Really Very important. important. Emotion Very low, cognition, cognition high. high. And that's really never in the important. moment. It is never in the moment. Yeah. And so we sat down with tacos and tequilas. And I said, I need to explain to you why I care about garbage. I apologize. I've been stalking you over it. I appreciate you doing it. But here's my issue. I keep asking you when it's going out because... When I see even a banana peel peeking out over the garbage, I start to feel like I'm seven years old again. Seth, you know my mom. You knew I grew up in the single mom household. You know she's always forgetting her keys at our house or her glasses. But what you don't know is that she didn't have a garbage can. We didn't grow up with a garbage can. And so we would have a takeout bag sitting in our, you know, on the top of a drawer in our kitchen. And garbage would spill out on the floor every single day. And we had cockroaches and water bugs. And when I'm see garbage, Seth, I'm seven years old again. And I can't, I did so much work to get out of that household and to be on my own. And I can't have you send me back there every day. It's just, it's not okay. I can't be back there. And then Seth was able to say to me, I didn't know that. And I appreciate you saying that, but I grew up in a privileged household. Garbage was taken out for me. Um, I slept on pizza boxes in my fraternity. Um, I didn't even have a pillow. Like, I don't really give a shit about garbage. <laughs> so Joy, what I like to say is what happens when you're so divergent yeah. and your values about something that you have to do every day? Well, what happens is that 30% of us are divorcing over the unfair division of labor in the home. Or women are saying to me all over, well, in the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I might as well do it myself. That's a terrible long-term argument for women, especially if they want to stay in the workforce or they want to return to the workforce. Or they want to stay married. <laughs> or they want to stay married without resentment. So yes, finally- Married without resentment. That's so a great way what happens? So what happens? So is Seth going to become extra garbage man because I, I said, why? No. But what he did understand was that we could come up with a minimum standard of care, that same thing that works in our medical system and our legal system originated in the UK with a tort system there and say, what does our reasonable person do? We've been doing this for 200 years. What does a reasonable person do? It's how we adjudicate all of our tort issues. 
what is a minimum standard of care for society? Well, it's going to look different in every community, but for Seth and my family community, it meant that garbage went out once a day. And he said, he'll put it in his calendar, like a work appointment. He'll, it'll happen when he gets home, but I can never mention the word garbage ever again. <laughs> and so that's what happened. It was like a miracle joy. Garbage started going out every day when Seth got home from work and we didn't have to have these giant micro decisions or fights over it every single day. And it was like, it was as miraculous to me as when the Moses part of the Red Sea, I mean, very miraculous. Yeah, that's so I, I love that story, which is why I wanted you to tell it because, um, and I have to tell you, I've got all these comments coming up. So <laughs> Michelle Evans says, I'm getting this book and I'm making my husband read it too. Yes, uh, Elaine please. Graham says, I just downloaded the Kindle edition. Now, ladies, just so you know, uh, don't, don't completely get all of your cards out yet because we are actually giving away a couple copies with, with the cards. So if you want a copy, make sure you tell us in the comments uh, and we'll be drawing um, we'll be drawing your name out of a hat and we'll send it to you. Um, so if you're watching this live, that's one of the big bonuses. You can win, you can win a book. Um, and if we have any left over after the live, we'll definitely be um, letting people vote to, or at least put their names in the hat to get one of our last few copies. I'm sure we're gonna get wiped out. You can see I've got a few copies behind me. Eve was so generous with us. This is a book that every woman needs to read, but also every every man needs to read too. And you've had a lot of men read the book. Um, yes. And uh, Michelle just says, want, want, want. I think Michelle wants to win. <laughs> yeah. um, Kate Sutton wants to win Well, too. Michelle, I will get you, I will get you a copy. Anybody who wants an extra copy of the cards, they're not commercially available, but we, um, we have, them from special our publisher still. Yeah, we will get copies. we'll get them to you. We oh yeah, we get, everyone's entering the draw now. Okay, yes. I've seen a whole bunch now. So we got Philippa's in there, Marianne's in there. Philippa makes a good point. She says, "I'm scared of my husband reading, uh, reading it. I think he does more than me." Now I can never. I can... <laughs> it's never. It's actually never happened. Well, um, who just say who said that? Well, uh, Philippa just said that. But oh uh, yeah, have... Philippa. So uh, by the way, Philippa, that that's going to keep you married. So what I'll say is you're a cultural warrior. So actually, the beauty of of the of something that happened was uh, my editor wanted me to introduce gratitude into the system. Like, thank you for doing this. And what women would say to me is I'm not thanking my husband for uh, working. I make his life. Right. And the men would say to me, I'm not thanking my wife for doing the dishes. Like I work 12 hour days. Gratitude doesn't work as an input, but it works as an output. And Philippa, I think by you and your husband, if you see that you have a pretty even division of labor, you can become doing less of more, even more efficient because you're starting with a position that is so, um, data shows, you're starting from a position that is so um, correlated with you having a long-term marriage and a happy life um, that it's only can get better. Well, and I will say, Eve, uh, so I did the book with my husband and one of the, there's, there's, there's two types, right? There's the grind cards, which are the day-to-day -day yes. tasks yes. that you like everyone has to do. Like a good example of that is washing the dishes or um, food, <laughs> making food, um, you know, just the, all the grind tasks, the tasks that people don't really want to do. Um, and, and, and so when we sat down and did it, uh, it turns out that my husband did hold 11 of the 15, was it 15 grind cards? 30, 30, 30, 30. So, and then, but then we all had the value. So we only valued 15 of, I, I can't. Oh, right, right, right. So whatever yeah. you valued, right. Your deck is going to be smaller. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. our, so we got our deck down. It took us a while to get our deck down. 
So the deck is the playing cards and you have to go through and decide what you both value. Value, yes. Um, and then you, there's certain cards that you value, the other partner doesn't value. And you have to decide whether or not you're going to hang on to those really. Because I think one of the biggest things that I realized is there's quite a few things I value that he doesn't value that I hang on to. And I go, hey, I'm doing all these things, but he doesn't really value those. But when we, when it did- What was one of those in example? Um, well, um, calling family. <laughs> You know, yeah, like, yeah. like the family relationship. Extended families, right, yeah. Yeah, like I, you know, of the two of us, I'm the one that does the phone calls or maintains the relationships with both sides of the family um, on our behalf. Um, and, you know, and that's just something he doesn't, it's not important to him. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it's like, but it, it's not a grind thing. You don't have to do that. You don't have to talk to your family <laughs> if you don't want to. But, you know, I thought that was important. I, you know, right. I loved how you talked about gratitude and you gave people grace to kind of, you know, you, neither you or your husband valued like thank you notes, but you valued gratitude. So you decided that at birthday parties, you would stand up and say, yes, thanks, everybody. We love the gifts and you're not going to get a thank you card from us because, you know, we don't do that. But we value the presence and we value your presence here um, physically. So, you know, I took a lot from that. But I but when we did the grind tasks like the dishwasher and the school run and the, you know, the food prep and the shopping and the laundry, I mean, he really was holding most of them and uh and and I think actually it was eye-opening for me and and it was almost like we were having a reverse conversation and I had to um really recognize that I needed to do a little bit more of the grind stuff um and I'm so happy to hear that I mean I really (laughs) because I'm taking you on the road um I think again because like I said the the beauty of that reverse situation is that again, the, the more men do in the home, the more likely uh, couples are to perceive fairness and stay married. So I feel very good about your marriage and I love your son. He looks really well adjusted. Um, so you keep doing that. But I think what happens sometimes, and I talk about this in the book, right? It's this idea that one of our sort of patriarchal things that have come down the pike over a hundred years is that time is money. Sort of as a capitalist patriarchal thing. I don't talk about it that way in the book. I talk about it in a more accessible way, but it really is the truth. And so what happens is I ask a lot of men, um, do you believe an hour holding your child's hand at the pediatrician's office is as valuable to society as an hour in the boardroom? And it was hard, especially for men to answer yes, maybe not your husband. But the sometimes I think what happens is that we all fall victim to that, that care isn't valuable. Right. We even we have all these um, there was all these ads that came out a couple of years ago that said breastfeeding is free. Well, no, not if you actually count in women's time. Right. Because yeah. it's actually not free at all. It's probably actually yeah. more expensive than formula. But it's this idea that care isn't valuable. And so if we fall into that trap ourselves and sometimes when our husbands are doing more of the daily grinds then we may not even see it either. So it's, you know, what is good self-help? It's just as a social change professor, he narrowed down social change to pre-consciousness, to consciousness, to fighting for solutions. And so I think that's what good self-help is. It's just, it's saying, I want to help everybody get to consciousness. That's what the tools of the cards are. And then you set your own fare. That's it. And that was what the cards did was it raised awareness as to what he was really doing. It also raised awareness that I was holding on a whole bunch of things that actually as a couple, we may not have valued together. And it made me really think, you know, it's kind of like having an overfull closet where you're kind of like, you know, do I really need to hang on to all these things or could I let go of some of them? 
And, you know, we were, we did what you said. We did the, um, the low emotion, high cognition, and we did it on an evening where we had the candles lit, we had the wine out, you know, and it was really, I think it was really great for both of us. I think, um, interestingly enough, um, we have done also recently the book, um, the five love languages, which I don't know if you've heard of that book or done of that. Of course. I, I, yeah. Gary Chapman is, um, yes, he's, he's I want to interview him. him. Yes, yes, yes. Um, because I, you know, one thing that was very interesting in that, and I think it's really important people understand their love languages as well, because I think fair play in many ways ties into this because what yes. we found out is that my husband is an acts of service person and I am a words of affirmation person. And it can be very difficult for a words of affirmation person to do acts of service because they're like the polar opposites. And Correct. same thing for someone who's acts of service, very difficult for them to do words of affirmation. And actually a lot of these cards in many but Can ways, I tell you one thing? One thing yeah. I found because I did interview um, many hundreds of people about their love language in, yeah. when I was doing the interviews for Fair Play. And what I found was, unfortunately, women like Joy, um, you get to have words of affirmation because you are already getting acts of service. So it was actually Maslow's hierarchy of love language languages. Most of the women who said that they valued gifts or acts of uh, words of affirmation were women who are already getting acts of service in their home. Oh, that, that makes, makes sense. That makes so that much makes sense. sense. So yes. like for me, it's all acts of service. I'm like, just take out the fucking garbage. <laughs> Just take out the garbage. And so it, it ended up being a Maslow's hierarchy. So what I wanted to reach out to Gary about is say, like I have this, all this interesting new data about love languages, over a hundred people um, I interviewed is a subset of love languages. But typically what was ending up happening was when women were willing to go to gifts or words of affirmation, um, their husbands already were holding at least 21 cards. That is it was interesting. so interesting yeah. yeah. because actually in a way, once I, well, two things I'll say. So, um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about provision, you know, in terms of a man providing either, you know, financially or providing in the home. And one thing that I found was um, that I was able to start saying, you know, gosh, he's providing a lot of things for me. Like he's providing a cup of tea or he's providing lunch or he's providing, you know, the ability for me to keep working by doing all these things. So provision can mean so many different things, yes, yes. but also you have to recognize for someone who's acts of service, they will give you a cup of tea. And that is saying, I love you. Or they will make, you know, they'll, 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 you know, go shopping and that is, I love you. And so you have to start reading that as well as I love you. And, um, you know, it's, it's, but it's been very interesting, the combination of the two things um, and, and recognizing that, uh, you know, whatever you complain about the most in your partner is typically what uh, your love language is. So, you know, uh, he was complaining that I wasn't doing enough around right. the house yes. and I was complaining that he wasn't saying I love you enough. And then you have this really weird cycle that happens where it's like, well, if you don't do that, I, then I can't really say it. And then you're like, well, if you can't say it, then I can't really do it. And then it becomes this cycle. I think what fair play allowed us to do was just, first of all, just see where we were at, you know, and, and we, at Tech Pixies, we say, you know, where are you now? Where do you want to yeah. be? And how are you going to get there? And I think, um, and one of the things that you have to do is you have to know, you have to decide if something needs to change. And if it does need to change, then you have to put in place some, some steps. And that could be, you know, smart goals is what we talk about at Tech Pixies, you know, putting in place goals, but those goals can't happen unless you put habits in place. And, you know, so those habits are really important too. And, and the habits tie really well into what you're talking about, because 
you know, if people can completely own a task and create like you, like your husband did, do the the garbage every day. If you can create those habits and start to make it just, you know, you own it, you deal with it, and you know, and then you have those regular conversations, those regular check-ins. And like you said, the card, the deck doesn't have to be dealt once for the rest of your life. You know, as circumstances change, and one person already put a comment on here that her husband works 12 hours a day, which leaves her with 12 hours of childcare. And, you know, so that's the deck they're dealt now. That doesn't right. mean in five years, that's going to be the deck. Um, no, absolutely. And I think that that's, so what is a system, right? Because people get scared when I say that fair play is a system or a practice. Well, what is a practice, right? What if I said to you, go to the gym tomorrow, and then you never have to go to the gym again. There's nothing worthwhile in our lives that happens just once. I mean, maybe, you know, like the one time you meet like Beyonce, but in terms of like actual life, most things that are valuable are a practice. And that's ultimately what a system is. A system is a set of rules to put you into a practice. You can't just start habits out of nowhere because what habits are you going to start? Well, if you're in the South Beach diet practice you're, or Atkins, you're going to, the habits are going to be to eat no sugar or carbs. The fair play habits are communicating when emotion is high, sorry, emotion is low and cognition is high. Yeah. That's the only habit I'm asking people. And it's investing 20 minutes a week in your marriage, regardless of whether your husband or partner works 12 hour days, or you're in a situation where the cards feel fair. There's nothing, there is nothing bad about treating your home like your most important organization, because all it does is lead to an opening of a channel of communication. And when you're not in the moment, and what it also does, it allows you to ask for what you need. And so while there may be, like you said, a habit in the moment um, or a system that's in place in the moment, there are certain weeks where I say, I'm happy to hold 60 of the 80 cards. But when I'm traveling on the road for three months of a book tour, Seth is holding all the cards in addition to working 12 hour days. And how is that going to make him feel? And what does that context look like? And how do we make sure that things don't fall through the cracks? Those are the conversations you end up having week to week. So I say 20 minutes a week to invest in your marriage. It's the most transformative thing you can do. And if people well, still feel resistant, I, I take their screen. I literally go and I steal their phone. I go on their screen time app and I see that they've been on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat way more than 20 minutes. So 20 <laughs> minutes to invest in your marriage. Well, so I agree with that. So the, the weekly check-ins, Tim and I have a little notebook and we sit down and kind of um, on the Sunday night and we don't do it every week, um, but we have done it and we will look at the week going forwards. And actually what that did for us was it eliminated a lot of the day-to-day -day who's doing pickup, who's doing, you know, this and that, because what was happening was I would have two or three days out and he wouldn't necessarily know that that was happening. And then we hadn't sorted out who was doing school run and all that stuff. Um, so I think by doing that weekly check-in, you're kind of saying, okay, here's what the week looks like. And then, you know, what things are we going to own this week and who's doing different things? And, you know, and I think, um, I think it's really important to do those weekly check-ins and, you know, I, again, um, going back to, uh, you know, the, the, for us, this was this whole process of, of thinking about the roles within the household, especially when you've got kids. And then thinking about the love language and everything else, you know, we also found out that quality time was things, things, something that we really valued. And actually, so many people, when they've got kids, they literally talk to each other in passing and about the kids, and then that's it. And they never talk about anything else. So I try to say never text. 
I, you know, what my rule for Seth is, is everything is in the check-in. We try not to text um, ever. Um, because it doesn't give you a chance to have any tone or context for what you're asking. And let me just explain one thing about why the check-in is so important to men, because I've had thousands of men now playing, especially ones that do work 12-hour days. And what these men were saying to me were that it doesn't, it's not serving them to not know how to re-enter. So that's what they would call this re-entry, right, on the weekend. They're gone all week and then they're re-entering and then mom is rolling their eyes. There's dad trying to make you breakfast and messing up our, our whole routine. So the beauty of the check-in is even if your partner is not holding that many cards, A, nobody should have to hold all the unpaid labor cards. I don't care how many hours your partner works because they get paid for that work. They get to leave you um, for their secretary and take all that money with them while you're, at, you know, you're screwed. So no one should have to do all the unpaid domestic labor. But what happens is that when you get to do these check-ins, even if you're the one holding it, you're mostly giving context for why things are happening that week. Men are saying to me, I have a role now, even yeah. if it's the context for why she's taking the kids to the doctor. Now I understand why, because his adenoids have been acting up for three years and I thought it was just a sinus infection. I didn't realize it was recurring, you know, all these things that they're getting context for. So it actually is very, very helpful to men who are even the ones who are the primary breadwinners who are out of the home a lot. Well, and I think it's really important. You did say men read the book and you had uh, some, some uh, the story you told in, in the, it's not actually in the book, but you told a story at the Albright about a man who got on a plane. Is that right? Can you tell that story? Well, there's, there's a few amazing ones, but one was from my uh, friend's husband, who's a management consultant and he's on the road all the time. And he read the book and she sent me a text that she screenshot from him that just said, you know, I read the first 100 pages of Eve's book. I'd wish I had read it 10 years earlier. I wish I had been a better partner to you. I'm sorry. And it was so powerful because I don't know if he'll take on that many more cards, right? But what I do understand now is that he's starting to value care. Yeah. And there's so many men like that who are valuing care. I have this, I had a client who called me and said, this is a new story, Joy, because it just happened that I wanted, that I haven't shared with anybody, but this oh, live called, on Tech Fix News for the yes, first time. Live, li yes, live. But he, it was such a beautiful story. He calls me and he says, I have to tell you about this funeral I went to. And again, like I told you who my clients are. My clients are people who hire, have to have 150 million in their foundation to hire me. They are very high net worth individuals. So he says, I just want to tell you about this funeral. I went to my colleague's funeral, who's also another big tech person in Seattle, um, worth a lot of money. And he said that the, fun you know, the funeral is packed colleagues, family, and his daughters were the first to speak. And they're all standing in a row and they get up to the podium and the, you know, the audience in the church gets quiet. And then the first daughter just starts reading um, a poem. And you're not really sure where she's going with it. And you realize it's a sonnet. And then the second daughter comes up and she reads a sonnet and the third daughter comes up and she reads a sonnet. And you realize that these were the poems that he was writing to his daughters as a tooth fairy. Hmm. And he was so moved by this because he knows the point of fair play, right? Is to get men, even if they believe that their time is worth more than their wives because they make the money, that really he said at the end of his life, this man, nobody talked about his money or his business, but they were all so moved because he chose to be the tooth fairy for his three daughters. Yeah. I mean, that's really what life is, right? It's about how we connect is who we become. And what do we value? And sometimes we lose sight in that in the day-to-day -day minutia of decision fatigue. 
Well, and one thing, and I think this is really important we touch on this, because one thing that happens if you take the whole weight of everything for the family, uh, including the mental weight of it, so you've got the physical weight of I've got to do the laundry, I've got to do the shopping, I've got to do the cooking, I've got to do the school run, I've got to do the homework, I've got to do the house cleaning, I've got to blah, blah, blah. There's so many things you can take on. Um, but what that does is it crowds out all space whatsoever for yourself. And, uh, and when you do that, you lose yourself. And so what happens very often um, in a lot of the work we do here at Tech Pixies is rediscovering yourself because so okay. many women lose sight of who they are and what they wanted to accomplish in life because it's, they, they don't have time to think about themselves. And so we, that's one of, the, one of the first things we do is we have them do some vision casting and create a vision board and, you know, to really tap into some of those inner, inner, inner deep instincts and feelings and go back to those early dreams in their life and say, you know, these things are still possible for me. I've got to just figure it out. I mean, there's a great book called Everything is Figure Outable. I love that okay. book. And I think it's a, it's a great one. But you talk about unicorn space in the book. And uh, you really get passionate about unicorn space, actually. I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, well, I, love I, I wish that this book could have just been organizational management because <laughs> that's where my specialty lies. But the problem was this over and over again of 500 plus interviews of women saying things like, um, yes, I have three Ivy League degrees, but I'm an object at rest. I'm thinking of having another child because I wouldn't even know what to do when my children go to school. These crazy, crazy um, statements um, that were very, very um, disturbing to me. And what I was realizing was that this idea of passion and purpose is so stupid um, without the context of domestic rebalance. Because on that day, Joy, that I told you when I had a pen stabbing me in the vagina, when I was barely holding on to the workforce, I'm not fucking thinking about my passion and purpose. I'm just trying to fulfill my husband's smoothie needs. So this idea of adding, find your passion and purpose on top of all the other shit we have to get done feels very shaming to me, to women, um, until we can get cards off our plate. So yeah. that's why I talk about it so passionately, because alone, I think it's actually harmful to do no harm in the context of domestic rebalance, where you say you absolutely deserve a right to an interesting life. You deserve to be interested in your own life. And when you stop being interested in your own life, um, it's a huge fucking red flag, not only for your identity, but for your, your health and for your longevity. And there's too many links to mental and physical pro health problems, including insomnia, autoimmune diseases, when women lose that core of who they are. But the problem with society is when do we stop seeing women? Well, we disappear in midlife. The last, I mean, if you look at Us Weekly, I love looking at Us Weekly. Basically, we see women until they're maybe their second ch child's baby shower. And then we disappear. Because society tells us the after already happened, right? When do we ever see the after? Mm. It's just well, happily ever after. What the fuck is the after? <laughs> what I well, love- Tech Pixies is helping people discover their after. Yes. And I think that's why I love your work so much. Well, I love your work very much. And I think, you know, the unicorn space really hit home for me um, because when we set up Tech Pixies originally, we were teaching women skills like social media. And, uh, and then it, but it, for me, it was always that we had to teach life coaching as well, because I felt like if we just, I know when I set up my first company, this is my third company, but when I set up my first company, um, that we had to have this huge shift in the house in order for me to actually do it. 
And I remember how difficult that was. And I remember how hard the conversations were. And I remember, you know, really like not doing wine and cards and having a chat about who's going to do what. It was more like I was, I literally, um, at one point in my first business, I, I lost a clump of hair on the top of my head and I was actually bald on my head. And, um, Ugh, and the, the, the gal cutting my hair, she's like, do you, do you know you have a bald spot on your head? And I was like, no. And I realized I just, I wasn't sleeping and I was, you know, and I, and I wasn't healthy at all. And, um, and it's taken a long time. I, the fighting, you know, I think when you set up a business, you end up working a lot at night and it's taken a long time to kind of be okay with the fact that I don't have to work every night until two, three, four in the morning. But, um, you know, you have to go through those phases. But what I found was the life coaching that I had when I was finally ready to say I need some help was that the life coaching gave me power to kind of say, this is what I want. And this is, this is where I am. This is where I want to go. And this is how I'm going to get there, but I can't do it alone. And, you know, we had a question at the Albright, and I think it was a really great question. I think we should touch on it just here, too. I know we're going to wrap up soon, but um, single mothers, of course, you've got women, um, you know, you've got extraordinary women. Um, One of the best examples of, you know, a woman who's kind of made it happen as a single um, mother is, of course, the author of Harry Potter, you know. Yes, yes. You know, you know, you you living in her unicorn space. Yes. Yeah. You listen to her story and you go, okay, she made it happen. But I think when we were talking about the Albright, it was like, um, really, uh, how do you do this alone? And, and I think one of the pieces of advice there was, you build a tribe around you. You don't do it alone. You know, you can't do it alone, but you, you cannot do it alone. I mean, that's, and I talk a lot about spiritual friendships. My mother is a single mother and I think, and a sociologist. And I think her look, there's solution privilege in the game part of fair play. I'm asking you, if you have the privilege of having a partner, you're going to play for domestic rebalance. But the beauty for my mother, when, when she looked at the cards and then this other woman Uh, There's been a lot of single moms I've talked to, but one other one had a beautiful thing where she looked at the cards, you know, she was holding all of them. And she said, you know, I wish I had these cards when I was negotiating my alimony, when the court said to me that I had been doing nothing for 10 years and gave me a notice to become a duty to be self-sufficient within six months, because Mm -hmm. it was my choice, my choice to opt out of the workforce. Right. And now I'm going to be raising the kids for the next decade. Um, alone, basically, um, or in a co-parenting situation. So what happens when you actually can value care? Well, that's the policy stuff that actually will affect single moms the most, because actually women, especially women of color, are in positions where we are in care professions, especially single mothers. A lot of them end up in care professions, like teachers and caretakers and nannies. And we don't pay anybody equitably for these positions because we don't value care. Um, And especially, this is the sad part, even if you're a single mother, um, the motherhood penalty is hitting you harder than if you have a partner at home, which means that we lose five to 10% of our wages per child. So again, that the reason we lose those wages is because we're considered not committed to the workforce because we're doing all the unpaid labor at home. Imagine if your boss starts leaving early to go right pen his sonnet to his child because he's a tooth fairy, right? Or take the kids to the pediatrician's office. That's the ultimate societal change fair play is about. It is my love letter to single mothers because you're holding all the cards, but we can't stop there. The idea is we take agency in our own lives and we go where the white men are. 
um, to play, right? But we're ultimately doing that so we can get to policy change that ultimately will help will change the game for women. Well, and I think you know we we have um, when with TechPixies, one of the big goals is to upskill women with a higher skill set so that they can get out of roles where they aren't valued fi financially and can move into roles where they can right. get paid better. Um, and there's still a lot of work to be done there. We have a gender pay gap for sure in the UK that needs work. Um, but but what we find is if a woman is confident with her skill set and confident in herself, those two things are a powerful combination. You know, education, you know, leads to confidence and confidence leads to satisfaction. That's a cycle we really believe in here at Tech Pixies. Um, so I, you know, I hope women educate themselves with fair play. And of course, we're going to be um, drawing some names. There's some really, I as you were reading that, I mean, I'm, I almost started crying. There's some really sweet comments here. Um, someone says, uh, I needed to hear that so much. Thank you. Love Aww. this woman. I'm actually crying. <laughs> I'm crying too now. Thank you all. We are all spiritual friends. Well, I think that's what it is. Like I, I, I don't hammer it over the head, but what, you're, what you'll see in Fair Play is that almost every chapter intentionally has women in it because this is our, our spiritual, your joy, you're a spiritual friend. You were a spiritual friend when you came up to me that night and you introduced me to your, um, to Susie. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Susie um, but it was, it was, um, it's this idea that, and this uh, clergy said this to me, right? A spiritual friend is somebody who wakes you up from your slumber. So one thing I'll ask you to add to your text pixie life coaching is something I found highly valuable, which is that when a lot of women say that they may not know the skills that they have, or that, you know, again, like all of us who are barely holding on to our lives after kids. Um, my, one of my favorite exercises to do in the beta testing phase was to ask women to have a spiritual friend's lunch, which is where I said, you have to invite three friends to lunch. Um, and what you're going to ask them to do is to tell you what they see in you. I love that. And it, it's a very beautiful exercise. And they'll say things like, well, you've always been an advocate for, equal pay because you're always talking about that or you know you've always we did we had a spiritual friends lunch with one of my friends who you know really wanted to get back into work but didn't want to be a teacher anymore and I've never met somebody who is the more beautiful and how they make their body art and so we said you have to do this for other people you have to become a personal shopper you the your art on your body the way you put things together whether it's from Zara or H&M like you make people look beautiful and you can be paid for this. And so she started last year and now she is a personal shopper. She's on her sixth client. Um, her husband's an orthopedic surgeon. He's so proud of her. He's taking the kids to school in the mornings because she does most of her shopping from um, 8.30 to 12. And it's just beautiful. It doesn't mean she's ever going to be paid the same as him. But he's so proud of her for stepping into her full power. But it really took this, these ideas of the spiritual friends where sometimes people can see things in you that you may not see in yourself. It doesn't mean everybody's a spiritual friend. Yeah. Find those people you know don't want to keep you, hold you down. Well, that's say, what like, I want to, yes. We actually do have it in the course. It's called Spiritual Texts. Well, I'm, I'm throwing it on it. now. But what we do is when they're creating their vision board, we say, if you're having a hard time coming up with the three words that describe you, I want you to text your three best friends and right. say, what word describes me? You tell me what we're describing because I'm trying to create this vision board and they're so it's so sweet because they start they're so nervous about texting their friends and saying like text me back and tell me what you think about me because they're nervous about what they're going to get back but if it's someone who truly loves you they're going to come back with all the beautiful things 
And, and um, you know, I love to talk about the Dove commercial. Do you know the Dove commercial? Where, well, I, know, uh, I know all the commercials. Which yeah, one? well, the one where they, they go and they describe themselves. Um, they, the, the person comes and describes their friend. And then the person comes and describes themselves. And it's, yes, a, it's yes, a, yes. A, a forensic artist. And it turns out that when you hold the two pictures up next to each other, the picture of the person who describes themselves is much, much less attractive than the one that someone else describes of them. So what people see in you is not what you see in yourself. And, and it is important to have those spiritual lunches, to have those spiritual texts, to get those people to tell you why they love you, because it's really important that you hear those things, uh, especially when you're, you know, trying to do something that requires confidence. And, you know, and it's not that you can get all of your confidence externally, you have to find confidence internally, but by doing something you've never done before, um, and by living and breathing into that, you know, the, the confidence will come. This is our year of being brave. We decided that the hashtag for in 2020 is be brave and sparkle. So, um, but it is really about making those small brave moves that make you um, be braver and braver. And I think one brave move that every woman watching this right now could do is, is get the book fair play, oh, read it, sit down with their husbands, you know, with, uh, when it's high, um, high cognition, low emotion, and, you know, and do that um, exercise and for it, work out the cards and just come to an equal playing field. You know, and again, equal, fair is not equal, equal is not fair. It's not like going, it's not all about going 50-50. It's about how do, how do we find a way that works for both of us? And also, how do you live into that unicorn space, not just for you, but for your partner? What's that one dream that's at the that's in the you know deep, deep, deep part of your heart that you want to go back into, you know, and what's their dream that they want to go back into? Because I think in as much as we complain about men being gone and not doing anything around the house, they feel obligated and they have generationally felt obligated to bring home the bacon and to earn the money. And it's, it's something that I think we have to also be aware of that, you know, this is a generational um, thing that we are probably, it's this generation that can break it more than any generation before. But men are not, you know, they're not, they're not all going to work because they want to escape the home. They're going to work because they feel the obligation to provide the life for their families that they think that their families want. And it's in having these conversations that you realize that actually what you both really want might be completely different than the reality that you're living. Correct. So thank you. What is you. your why? Start with your why. That's my one thing I'll leave with. Even with your kids. Um, if you say, get on your shoes, um, start with your why. Um, the, you invest in that why one time. Here's why I'm asking you to come down dressed to the breakfast table. Because when you come down dressed, Ben, that's what I said to him recently. We have more time to spend together and our life is so busy and you're having so many extra tricky activities. That extra five minutes when you get to come down dressed where we're not fighting over you being dressed means we get to connect over a friend, what your day is going to be like. I want that special time with you. Yeah. And then they start getting dressed. Well, I'll tell you one little story and then I promise I'll let you go. Although I could literally talk to you all yes. night. You're so amazing. I, there's so much we could talk about. Um, but I, one thing that did happen just recently, which I thought was hilarious was in this whole kind of effort to do more around the house and to be more like a housewife than I was being before. Cause I wasn't doing a very good job of being a housewife. Clearly, um, my husband at one point, he looked at me and he goes, you know, I really don't want a housewife. Like he was, you know, and just like your husband, when he really understood what you were doing with the book, got, you know, he said, you say in the book, he was really proud of you. And 
and started talking about it with his friends and was really open and honest about like how proud he was of you and the work you were doing. My husband too, I think through this whole process has started to say, you know, I, given the choice, I wouldn't go for a housewife. Like, I think he, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, well, he's, I think he sees you in your full power and why, and everybody wants people in their full power, right? Because a few things happen. You become unavailable in a way that you can do by, you know, stalking your ex-boyfriend or having an emotional affair, or you can do it in a very positive way, like becoming unavailable through your work, your painting, your creativity, going back in the workforce. That unavailability was something we always would tell, you know, our friends in our earlier life, don't text them back right away, right? Create some mystery. Well, you get mystery through being excited about your own life. And I actually think that that allows people to be happier in a relationship. And so it starts with that. And most people, I've never met a man who does not have pride in his partner when they're living in their unicorn space. It has nothing to do with money. That was the beauty. One man spent 20 minutes. I had to mute him, literally mute him because it was a little bit much, but he went on his wife is a dental hygienist, but all he wanted to talk about was that she perfected a strawberry rhubarb pie for their church fair. And I guess I didn't know much about baking, but you need thickening agents and rhubarb's hard to work with because I guess it's a poison and <laughs> strawberries run and it could be really gummy. You know, he just kept on going. It was so beautiful. And I said, well, thank you. Thank you for knowing so much about your wife's passion for baking and for being so proud of her. You know, that it had nothing to do with money. Yeah. It was her being in her full power. Yeah. And if we, if we let go of ourselves completely, and not hold on to those dreams that actually very often they fell in love with us for in the first place. Yes. If we let go of ourselves completely, that's where, that's where, that's where the danger starts. And that's where you've, and that's why I love about your book because it comes at a perfect time in a perfect generation, in a perfect era where actually men are, men are willing and able to start doing things. They're seeing the men around them do it. And just like Melinda Gates said, when everyone saw Bill Gates going to do the school run, suddenly all the dads were doing the school <laughs> run. And, you know, it was like, if he can it's do it, contagious. you can do it. It's it is contagious. contagious. And keep up the amazing work you're doing. I just, oh, I just, I, I love that the book, I love the cards. I love the fact that you took the time out of your day to spend it with us this evening. Oh, and, of course. Um, Thank you all for listening and for committing to you know, for us all to be spiritual friends. Well, there's a whole bunch of comments. So you might yes. want to go and check that out later. Yes. Uh, send someone over to check those out. But thank you so much. And thank um, you. And have a great rest of your uh, week. And yes. uh, we'll talk to you soon. soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.